Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. Welcome again to our Catechism class. In our last lesson, we looked at question 33 and we asked why Jesus is called God's only begotten Son. In this lesson, we'll be staying with Lord's Day 13, question 33, but looking at the second major truth that we find there, the adoption of the believer as a child of God. The Catechist asks, Why is he, Jesus, called God's only begotten Son, since we also are the children of God? The answer we must give is because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. But we are children of God by adoption, through grace, for his sake. So what do we mean by adoption? Before we begin, let's read some verses from Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 14. Paul here is writing to the Romans, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then in verse 23 we read these words. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. I think to be an adopted child must be very special indeed. It requires a very special kind of love to give parenthood to a child, to choose them, to bring them into your home, to bestow upon them every privilege of family and belonging. In our case as Christians, God chose us when we were totally unlovable and when we didn't deserve his love and paid a huge price in order to bring us into his kingdom. He gave his own natural son for us. And he didn't make us second-class family members either. 
Look at how our status in the family is described in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We're sons. In the ancient world that was so important. A son carries the right of inheritance. As believers, our status in Christ is that we are all sons of God. Even the women and the girls have the status of sons. The Catechist has two important points to reinforce. He wants to know how does God adopt us and what is his motive in doing so. He tells us that we are adopted through grace, that we do not deserve to be in God's family and that we cannot earn adoption, that we are adopted by unmerited favour alone. We are the children of God by adoption through grace for his sake for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read over some Bible verses to illustrate this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 6. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So believers have received the spirit of adoption. There is, as I've already said, something very special about that. It's the act of taking a child that is not ours by natural birth, which has not chosen its adoptive parents, and bringing that child into the family, and loving it as one's own child, and caring for it, and even if necessary, giving up everything for that child's well-being. It is an act of great kindness and great mercy. Now that is exactly what God does for the sinner, who has responded to his effectual call. We have no right by merit or title to be in God's family. We have no right to inherit a home in heaven. And yet God adopts us as his sons and joined heirs with Christ. Let's look at some more scripture texts. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We could look at John chapter 1 and verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Here's a testimony of adoption. Someone wrote, My wife and I waited 15 years for a child that never came by the natural way. However, we were approached one day with a lead of a newborn not yet born. I remember standing in front of the judge on our day of adoption. He pointed his finger at me and asked of me, Is anyone coercing you to adopt this little boy? After we had assured him that we were doing so out of love for him, he made this statement. From today on, 
he is your son. He may disappoint you, even grieve you, but he is your son. Everything you own one day will be his, and he will bear your name. Then he looked at the clerk of court and gave this command. So order a change in this child's birth certificate, and may it reflect that these are the parents of this child. It was then that I realised that my heavenly Father loved me so much that without coercion he loved me and gave his all to me. On that day he changed my name, and I gladly bear his image and his name. So now we are God's children by adoption. But when a baby is adopted into a family, the family then begins to influence that child's life. That child has a new family name. That child will grow up with the family, will learn the mannerisms and the speech from the new family. It will grow up with the dialect and the accent of the family. The family and the parents especially will have a major influence on the child. And onlookers will be able to see this family influence reflected in the child. So it is with the believer. The new birth gives us a new family. And it won't be long before the marks of the family start to show. Our new spiritual family will change how we relate to others, how we relate to the Lord, and even how we view ourselves. When we're adopted into God's family, the way we relate to others will change. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, we read, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Men and women in the street may not see by the look of us that we are sons in God's family, but perhaps they can see evidence of our obedience to God's word. Perhaps they can see our relationship to the commandments of God. Now it must be said as strongly as possible that the Holy Spirit never leads us to do anything that is contrary to the word of God, for the word of God is the mind of God revealed to us, and thus the mind of the Spirit. For example, How could a Christian who is genuinely saved blaspheme the name of the Lord? To dishonour the Lord's day. That's sinful. I wonder how many Christians whose activities on the Sabbath are more consistent with the lives of the world than with the Lord's people. Immorality is sin. Immorality in all its forms. Premarital sex, fornication, filthy photographs and pictures, pornography, sodomy, prostitution, adultery... Telling lies is sin when we're relating to others as Christians and we're telling downright lies. That doesn't mark us out as Christians, does it? Failure to separate from the world is hardly the behaviour of a Christian. False worship is sinful. Not caring and respecting your family is sinful. How do I know all this? Well, simple. Read the Ten Commandments for a good summary of what God requires from us as standards, and then prayerfully, as a Christian, weigh your life up against what God has spoken. Listen to what the Lord commanded regarding the outward appearance of the Christian. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. So the spirit-led man or woman will be marked out from others as being obedient to the word of God and different from the world around him. 
Psalm 37 and verse 37 says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Not only will how we relate to others be moulded by our part in the family of God, but how we relate to our Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says, Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now there is proof of our sonship, as far as our relationship with God is concerned. For we have received what is called here the spirit of adoption. We have been placed as sons within God's family. It's a work of God's spirit. The spirit of adoption is none other than the Holy Spirit of God. It is his work to bring us into the family of God. Like salvation, this adoption is both present and future. We are adopted now and we shall be adopted in the future on the day of resurrection. In Romans 8 and 23, Paul writes, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And notice this. The Bible says we have not received the spirit of fear. The spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, drives away all fear by replacing the fearful and terrible sense of fatherlessness, of orphanhood, with the comforting reality that God is our Father. There's an interesting interpretation of John 14 and verse 18. That verse says, I will not leave you comfortless. The word comfortless there, strangely enough, is the word, the Greek word orphanos. And literally translated, that verse would read something like, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come back for you. And of course then, Christ goes on to promise after that, that he will send the Holy Spirit, now being described as Paul as the spirit of adoption. Because of that, we cry, Abba, Father. We are his. We relate to him as our Father. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit is dwelling within the believer. He relates to the Father, and so will we. The word Abba is the Hebrew word for Father, and it's used by the Lord himself in the Garden of Gethsemane during that awful night of conflict. With the bloody sweat on his brow, the Son of Man cried out, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. It's a term of endearment, and it's wonderful to know that we can come to our Heavenly Father as a child would to his own Father. And lastly, when we are being influenced by our position within God's family as adopted children, it changes the way we think about ourselves. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We know that we're saved and we know that we're certain of heaven. We have what we might call inside information regarding the fact of our personal salvation. The witness of the Holy Spirit is a personal witness. 
It is performed by the Holy Spirit himself, witnessing spiritually with our spirit. It's not a physical witness, nor is it an emotional witness. We can't trust our emotions, for they're deceptive. So being a Christian is not about always feeling all warm and cuddly inside. And it's not about tears, and it's not about glowing feelings of deep joy and happiness. Many have cried tears of sorrow and repentance and have never been saved. It is a particular witness. It's limited to the believer. It's only for those who are the children of God. It's not a natural witness. It's not something that we have by nature of our birth. It is something that we get when we come to Christ and we are joined together to him. So the Lord has removed from us the spirit of fear has taken away the bondage in which the carnal world dwells. At conversion, he has given us his Holy Spirit, whose task is to bring us into the family of God, lead and guide us through life, give us reassurance that we belong to him, and to make us spiritual people. So Paul says, we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we are the children of God, not the natural child of God as Jesus is, but because God in his mercy and grace has adopted us into his family. We know that we belong there. We bear a family resemblance to one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. just before you go. Hannah from Carrick Fergus had been impressed with the piano introduction to the Last Ethics and History podcast, so I offered to play it for her in full. It's called Scotland. It's meant to evoke a sense of history and drama, and it's composed by Henry Gorman. So Hannah, here it is, just for you, Scotland. <laughs> 